a couple of years ago, I was at this conference, and uh, it was at this conference that I got to meet someone, uh, that our staff got to meet somebody who we, we respect greatly and dearly. She's this wonderful woman who has this incredible ministry in Los Angeles, and so uh, we get the chance to meet her, and so of course, like, I have to ask her all these questions. I'm like, what do you do with these leaders, and what do you do with this structure, and what do you do with your small groups here? And then, you know, other people are asking other questions, like, uh, you know, what are we supposed to do on a Sunday morning in this situation, or what do we do in that situation? And she goes, all right, guys, you have a lot of great questions. She goes, but I want you to answer this. She goes, what is Jesus telling you? What's Jesus telling you? And that does two things for me. I don't know what it does for you. It does two things for me. It fills me with great hope, but it also makes me go like, ah, seriously? Like, what's Jesus telling me? What's Jesus telling you? It fills me with great hope, and it fills me with great frustration. What is Jesus telling us? What's Jesus telling you about your life, the people you love, the people you don't love, about your job, about your relationships, about where you live? What is Jesus telling you Uh, You know, there are people that I know who tell me that Jesus speaks to them with perfect clarity. Any of those people in the room right now? Not a one. (laughs) I'm shocked. Yeah, people tell me that Jesus speaks to them with perfect clarity. And, And you know what the funny thing is, the interesting thing about the people that Jesus always speaks to with perfect clarity? They somehow always do, uh, Jesus always tells them exactly what they want to hear. Have you guys noticed that before? Exactly. Um, You guys reading the newspaper, uh, Creflo Dollar uh, is a pastor in Atlanta, and did you hear that Jesus told him with complete clarity that he needed a $67 million jet? Did you guys hear about this? Yeah. Um, He needs a $67 million jet to preach the gospel all over the world. The Lord is telling me I also need a jet. So let's, let's get moving, people. All right? Let's get to it. Jesus speaks to us with complete clarity. I always love how Jesus um, has told people that, that uh, you know, Jesus has told me that I need to move. And it's never to Newark, New Jersey. Like, Jesus has told me I need to move to, like, some wonderful city, like this great city. Or Jesus told me I had to move to, like, this house in the suburbs. That's incredible. But, but Jesus told me, and with great clarity, and so, okay, I'm going there. Jesus told me I should be with this person, uh, and it doesn't matter that this person is you know, completely crazy and that they value none of what you value and that they disrespect you all the time, but Jesus has said that I really should be with this person. I should stick it out with them. Jesus speaks to us with complete clarity, and it's always interesting to me how it confirms every single one of our biases and every single thing we want to hear. This is what Anne Lamott says. You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out God hates all the same people you do. It's the truth. This is how God speaks to us uh, with this clarity. And and it's interesting that when God speaks to us in this clarity uh, that we're never challenged. We're never actually uh, asked to go beyond or or above or we're never asked to actually to make any moves or to question anything because this is how God's speaking. God is confirming all of our biases. That's how God speaks to some people. And then there are other people. There are other people that do not hear the voice of God very clearly. Anybody in this room not hear the voice of God very clearly? That's sort of more like it, right? Yeah, we're, we're, we don't quite understand where God is or where God's coming from. And you know what? Maybe we do need to move or we do need uh, uh, to know if we're in the right relationships and we do need to figure out exactly what's going on. And we want God to say something to us. God, speak clearly. Jesus, speak clearly to me. And it's not happening the way we want it to happen. You know, today's Mother's Day. 
And I'll never forget when Juby and I, we, had, we struggled to have kids. And we weren't having kids. And we were like, Jesus, speak to us. Tell us what's going on. Why isn't this happening? You know? and, and it was one of these things that I'll, I'll never forget that, that was deeply uh, uh, profound for us as, as we were, were going through this struggle. God, where are you? Are you speaking to me? How is Jesus speaking to you? How is it happening? What's going on? Well, I've been in both spots. Like I said, I've been in places where Jesus isn't speaking to me. I've been in places where I read my scripture and I go, yep, just like I thought. God's telling me everything I want to know. I've been in both those spots before. And you know what I'm learning lately, though? I'll tell you what I'm learning. Uh, It's interesting. I am learning more often than not that Jesus is speaking in the midst of my disruptions. Jesus is speaking in the midst of my disruptions. And disruptions might be too gentle of a word. Jesus is speaking in the midst of the tension, like my tension. Jesus is speaking in the midst of my disagreements. Jesus is speaking in the midst of the times when I'm like, uh, feeling like I don't have this together, or I don't have it. Jesus is speaking in the midst of my disruption. I wonder if Jesus is speaking in the midst of your disruption and of your tension, of your disagreements as well. Where's Jesus speaking to you? You know, and then so I did a little research and I started looking around and I was like, huh, you know, is it true that Jesus speaks to us in our disruptions? And all you got to do is open up scripture and scripture shows us over and over and over again that in the midst of what seems like crisis or what seems like difficulty or what seems like tension, there's the voice of God. And there's the voice of God speaking, changing things, helping people to convert to a God of grace, to a Jesus of grace. And so one of my favorite passages ever is Acts chapter 10. I know I say that about a lot of passages, but this for real is really my favorite passage of all time. It's Acts chapter 10 because what I love about it is we get to see Peter's conversion. We get to hear the story about how Peter was converted uh, because he was willing to hear the voice of Jesus in the midst of not little, but really, really major, major disruptions. And it's in the process that he comes across the grace of Jesus Christ for what I believe is the first time. It's pretty incredible. So if you have your Bible app, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. I'm going to sort of go through the whole thing, uh, and we'll talk about it. But what do we need to know, know about Peter first? Well, first of all, Peter was asked by Jesus to become um, the one who, who grows this gospel movement. Okay? It wasn't even called Christianity then. We were still a couple centuries away from that. And so he's asked to grow this gospel movement, this Jesus movement. And Scripture tells us, the book of Acts tells us over and over again, it says that Peter was giving this message, this gospel message, but that Peter was only giving this gospel message to the Jewish people. That was it. He wasn't giving this gospel message to anyone else. Uh, And the truth of the matter is Peter's scripture told him that he's not supposed to give this gospel message to anybody else. Peter's Peter's scripture, the one that he had, he didn't have the New Testament like we had. It it was telling him that, that, that he needed to stay within the Jewish community. And so four different times in early Acts, we hear that Peter is preaching to the Jews. And Peter himself says four different times, as if to, you know, you know, solidify this, that I'm speaking to the Jewish people. It was against the law. The book of Leviticus said anybody that you talk to that is not Jewish, you know, that's, that's God. I abhor those people. That's basically what God ends up saying. And so all of a sudden, Peter's been having this conversation. He's been talking to all the Jewish people about the gospel, and it's, it's been going, it's been hit or miss. And, and then this is what Scripture tells us. I want to go ahead and read it for us. It says this. So it says, Peter goes up to the roof to pray. He became hungry. 
wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners, and it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. You know that three different times? Three different times Peter has to hear that. Not just twice, but three times. You know why three times? Because if that was me, I would have been certain, absolutely certain that this was not Jesus speaking to me. I would have been like, this is the devil. This is Satan. This is something else. Because my scripture, my scripture clearly says that I should not eat any of this food. It's plain as day, and it says it in Leviticus, and and I can't break that law. That's ridiculous. That's what my scripture tells me. And my scripture tells me that not only can I not eat this food, but I can't hang out with people who even would eat this food, which is funny because then the spirit goes, oh, and by the way, you're going to go hang out with this guy named Cornelius. Okay, Cornelius is not a Jew. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. What was a Roman centurion at the time? Roman centurion was not only not a Jew, which means you weren't supposed to hang out with them. They were the enemy. They were the absolute enemy, which means that as a Roman centurion, there's a good chance that somebody like Cornelius would have uh, possibly killed the Jewish people, would have enslaved the Jewish people. Somebody like Cornelius would have uh, taken away the land of the Jewish people, would have taken the livelihood from anyone who, who was part of this Jewish tradition. Cornelius was the enemy, not only was he, the, he, was, he, was, he was, you know, the Nazi soldier. He was the soldier in Pol Pot's regime in Cambodia when so many people were killed. He's the jihadist. He's the Ku Klux Klan member. He's, who's your enemy? Got your enemy in your head? That's who Cornelius is, okay? Cornelius is somebody that you shouldn't speak with, be with, do anything with at any point. And yet the Spirit says, hey, Peter, if you want to spread this gospel message, if you don't want to get in the way of what I'm doing, You need to go hang out with Cornelius, and you need to eat his food. Can you see why Peter's like, surely not. My scriptures tell me not to do that. And then what happens? Conversion happens. Peter shows up. He goes to the house of Cornelius, and he's sort of confused. He's like, I guess I'm here. I'm breaking every law there is to break. I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. But you are well aware it's against the law for a Jew to associate or with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what's right. You know this message that God has sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, Lord of all. Peter is converted. His life is changed. What is Jesus telling him? These are major disruptions. These are life and death disruptions. And what we find out after the fact is that Peter, he goes on preaching to the Gentiles, but he gets himself in a good bit of trouble. He gets himself in trouble with some of the Jewish leaders. Some of the Jewish leaders aren't happy with the fact that he's doing this. And what we find out is Peter is pretty much never comfortable again. Not again, he's not. In fact, Scripture tells us that, that Peter and Paul would often get into little disagreements about whether or not this gospel message is for everyone and not just Jews. Peter's never comfortable again because the problem is that God is speaking us in the midst of disruption, and that actually is also our solution. God is speaking to us in the midst of these major disruptions. So what do we do? 
What do we do when God is speaking to us in the midst of major disruptions? You know what? I don't even know. What I want to do is I want to doubt it. I want to doubt that God's talking to me. You know what I want? I want a sheet to come down from heaven. That's what I want. I want the sheet to come down from heaven, and I want God to tell me three different times exactly what I need to do in order to spread this kingdom message. That's what I want to have happen, but I don't have that. I don't have it. And so what I wonder is I wonder, like, well, what's Jesus really telling me? In the midst of this tension, what's Jesus really telling me? Am I getting in the way of what God's up to? Am I, am I sitting on the sidelines when I should be moving forward? What is Jesus telling me? And instead of taking action, instead of living in the tension, instead of being somebody who, who is willing to, to be in the mess, what I end up doing is standing on the sidelines and nothing happens at all. There's a guy named John Henry Hopkins. In 1801, John Henry Hopkins immigrated over to the United States. And uh, he grew up here in the United States. And as he became older, he realized that there were children who were in need of serious help, disadvantaged children. And so what John Henry Hopkins did is he started three schools. He started three schools for disadvantaged children. He started one for girls and two for boys. And he ran those schools and uh, was lauded and, and did incredible work for the Lord. And then he became a professor at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, and, and he felt that God was calling him to the ministry. And so because he felt like God was calling him to the ministry, uh, what he ended up doing is he ended up becoming an Episcopal priest. And he was lauded and people loved him because when he became an Episcopal priest, he gave away all of his money. Just gave it all away and he lived uh, as somebody who was poor, as somebody who served other people. And, and so many people took notice of this. In fact, so many people took notice that, um, that he became an Episcopal bishop in Boston. And he became an Episcopal bishop in Boston and he worked so incredibly hard for so many people and he did so much. And so it was right around the time where, where Abraham Lincoln was becoming the president and it was right around the time where there was abolitionists that were fighting against slavery. And so abolitionists came to John Henry Hopkins and said, we need your help fighting against slavery. And, and John Henry Hopkins said, okay, well, I'm going to get back to you on this one. I want to I think through it. And what John Henry Hopkins did is was he wrote out a treatise and this is what his treatise said. It said, if it were a matter to be determined by personal sympathies, tastes, or feelings, I should be as ready as any man to condemn the institution of slavery. For all prejudices of education, habit, and social position stand entirely opposed to it. But as a Christian, as a Christian, I'm compelled to submit my weak and erring intellect to the authority and almighty. For then only can I be safe in my conclusions." That's John Henry Hopkins on his pro-slavery pamphlet titled A Scriptural, Ecclesiastical, and Historical View of Slavery. What is Jesus telling you in the midst of disruption? What is Jesus saying, and are we getting in the way of what God is up to? Are we getting in the way of God trying to advance his kingdom? Is Jesus talking to us in the midst of disruption and we're sitting there going, no, I can't do this because it's, you know, this is against my tradition, it's against my culture, it's against what I'm supposed to believe and God is going, get out of my way, you're in my way, move out of the way so I can move, so I can act, so I can bring peace to this kingdom. What are we doing? The author Sarah Condon says this, she says, we don't know how we would respond to a holocaust or to an ethnic cleansing, but if our fellow human beings are any indication, I suspect we would just hide in our homes and hope the horror would leave us unscathed. Jesus is speaking to us in the midst of disruption, in the midst of 
of breaks in tradition, in the midst of difficulties, are we willing to answer? Are we living, willing to live in the tension? Are we willing to live in the midst of, of what we need in order to see that peace uh, comes and that peace is brought anew? You know, there was another man that's pretty amazing that would actually kill people who, who followed Jesus. He would kill people who, who didn't follow the scriptures. He would kill people who, who believed that, that, that um, you know, they were, there was a spirit at work. He would kill those people. In fact, he had one of these people stoned. He had them tied up and people threw large stones at him until he died. And then this man who killed people who didn't follow the scripture, who didn't follow the law, he was hit by the Holy Spirit. He was blinded. He was changed. And Jesus said to him, Paul, you're getting in the way of what I'm doing. Go live in the tension. Go live in the disagreements. Go live in the disruptions. And so Paul went out and was a catalyst in the church planting movement, starting churches all over what is now Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe and, and North Africa. And he changed the world for the cause of Christ. And this Paul was completely changed. And he says this to this little church in Corinth. He says, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new government, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What is Jesus telling us in the midst of disruption? And I think right now there's maybe a few of us who are going, wait, are we, are we talking about like forgetting about the Bible? Like are we talking about like just ignoring that completely and listening to the Spirit? No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I was emailing back and forth with a pastor this week and he said this and I completely 100% agree. He said, you know what? I don't take the words of Scripture lightly. I believe they're holy and inspired and I don't fear the truth. I believe it sets us free. But finding the truth demands diligent work and it requires time and intellectual rigor and a willingness to challenge every subject from every angle and the, truth, and the search for truth demands careful and thorough study and prayer. What is Jesus telling us in the midst of disruption? And are we willing to go through the rigorous and difficult tension that Jesus might be calling us to? You know, our church... Our church is a church that is unified based on restoration and renewal. We say we, we will bring restoration and renewal to lives, neighborhoods in this city through Jesus Christ. And we absolutely, 100% believe that that's going to happen. And, and one of the things I believe wholeheartedly is in order for us to bring this tension, in order for us to do this, we are absolutely going to hear the voice of Jesus in disruption, to live in the tension. So here's one thing I want to say. The voice of Jesus, I don't believe, is asking us to agree on everything. We do not have to agree on everything that we think. The voice of Jesus is not asking us to all feel the exact same way, and if we don't feel the exact same way, to go somewhere else. That's not what the voice of Jesus is doing. The voice of Jesus is not, uh, anytime we feel like we want to distance or divide or destroy, that is absolutely not the voice of Jesus. So it is the voice of Jesus telling us. The voice of Jesus is telling us, go live in the tension. Go build relationship with people in this church who don't look like you or act like you. Jesus is telling us, go, go hang out with people who are in different life stages, who have kids, who don't have kids, who are married, who are single. Go live with those people. That's what Jesus is telling us. Go, go hear the voice of Jesus in that place. You want to hear the voice of Jesus? 
Go stand together in injustice, even when there's disagreements and different life experience. That is the voice of Jesus. You want to hear the voice of Jesus? The voice of Jesus says, you know what? If you see oppression, no matter what the circumstance, doesn't matter who that person is, go fight it. That's where we hear the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus says, we will stand together as a church unified. When we're, It's okay when we don't agree with one another. And it's okay when we look at the Bible and we go, I'm not sure, and we're wrestling, and we pray for one another. That is when we're going to hear the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus is going to come when we go to our friend who we completely disagree with on everything and we say, hey, you're my friend. I love you. I want to hear you. I do hear you. That's when we're going to start to hear the voice of Jesus. Want to hear the voice of Jesus? Let's practice grace. Let's practice grace. It's on grace that we even have this church. It's by grace that we're even here today. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us the grace to hear the voice of Jesus in the midst of disruptions. It's the grace of Jesus Christ that allows us to have the courage to get out of the way of what God's up to. It's the voice, or it's the grace of Jesus Christ that allows us to move mountains, to change things, just like Peter, just like Paul. Let's practice grace. Practice grace in our church. Here's the voice of Jesus. And when grace comes through the doors, any kind of dogma that we have, any kind of thoughts we have, those are going to get out of the way. And when grace comes through that door, any kind of politics or any kind of gossip or any kind of dissension, that's going to move to the back. And when grace walks through the door, uh, any, any sort of ways or feelings that, that, that you know, we're divided or that we disagree or that we're distant, those things will dissipate. And when grace walks through that door, messy, difficult, Oh, grace, the, the, the tension of grace, that's when. That's when we're finally going to say, I hear you, Jesus. I can hear the voice of Jesus. You pray with me? God, I pray that you would, um, that you would challenge us, God, that you would challenge us to live in the tension that you would challenge us, uh, us to really hear your voice, that you would challenge us to, um, to live in the midst of disruption, that you would challenge us to be unified, not uh, because we all think or, or believe the same thing, but be unified because it's you, Jesus Christ, who gives us the grace. It's you, Jesus Christ, whose death and resurrection allows us to live. Allow that to be our unity for our church. We pray this in your name. Amen.